what's going to be more important as companies review their global value chains will be um, an emphasis on resilience and on security of supply. Because clearly during the pandemic in a number of sectors, that was massively impacted and companies were really struggling um, to, to get products and components into their kind of production lines at, you know, at the right time. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. Welcome to Future Talks, Are You Listening? A podcast diving deep into the effects that digitalization has on our lives and societies. This conversation is brought to you by the British Embassy in Helsinki and your host, Tuomas Lähteenmäki. COVID-19 has delivered a devastating blow to European economies. OECD reports that even if economies begin recovering in the second half of the year, foreign direct investment flows are expected to fall nearly 40% in 2020 from 2019 levels. We believe that the nature of competition in the global economy is changing rapidly. It's becoming ever more digital. Today, we analyze the importance of foreign direct investments in the post-corona recovery and ask why securing new investments is more important than ever for European countries such as the UK and Finland. Our experts today are Neil Brickden, Director, Foreign Direct Investment, London and Partners, and Maria-Lisa Niinikoski, CEO, Helsinki Business Hub. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks very much. So, Neil, starting with you, as we are in the second wave of the pandemic at the moment, and hopefully about to enter recovery uh, next year, at least in Europe, what would you describe to be the state of the European economy at the moment? Well, thanks very much. And thanks to our friends and colleagues at the uh, British Embassy for inviting me along to join you this afternoon. Delighted to be with you. Um, Yeah, as we enter the, the, the kind of um, the second stage of this, I think, I think actually, if we if we kind of cast our mind back, I think even before Corona, um, from an FDI and from a global trade perspective, we were we were kind of facing into some unprecedented times anyway, um, particularly around the European marketplace, but more broadly than that around the world. You know, we were facing you know the uncertainties as a result of Brexit. We were facing the uncertainties as a result of the China-US trade wars. We were facing into all the uncertainties and challenges that a Trump administration had thrown our way in terms of the global FDI um, kind of place. And also, we were facing into the challenges of, you know, a, a rising tide of of anti-globalization and protectionism, really, in the trading um, kind of space. So all of that, I think, You know, we were we were facing kind of significant challenges anyway, and then we've thrown in a global pandemic just to make 2020 even more challenging. Um, so even kind of with that, from a from a global um, perspective, I mean, so many people are trying to kind of predict what the impact of Corona will be on the kind of FDI and the trade and investment kind of world, but I don't think we really fully understand what that full impact is yet. What we do know, I think, and 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 here I think we've got to look at longer term kind of forecasts. These quarterly or month by month forecasts or projections that come out are a little misleading because of the massive trends and, and fluctuations that we're seeing in GDP figures or in world trade kind of figures. But I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we were kind of facing a potential kind of decline in, in world GDP somewhere 
kind of in the region of about kind of four to five percent, I think, um, at the beginning. And then, you know, all of these forecasts were suddenly massively revised kind of downwards. I think in the Eurozone, we were looking at maybe a, a decline of around 7%. Um, and obviously the major markets at different kind of points, Germany, France, and you get different points, you know, around that place. And then I think we saw massive steep declines in the first couple of months of the pandemic. And then I think we started to see kind of the indicators starting to show some modest kind of recovery over the summer. And then suddenly we're hit with a second wave. Um, and then, you know, all of the, the kind of reforecasting is, is going on at the moment. I think from a world point of view, if we are looking at a, a, a decline of around 4 to 5% this year, modest recovery in 2021, and then probably a leveling out um, in terms of kind of GDP figures in, in 22 and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Marja-Lisa, you work as a CEO at Helsinki Business Hub. What are your thoughts on the on this matter? Yes, quite similar. That's the, our future is um, behind the curtains. It's not so easy to see, but uh, just what we have, um, what we have seen in the global economy. So China has started its recovery already. They have close to five uh, percent of the growth of GDP when it was measured of the last period. And what we can what we can see in the U.S. is also that the unemployment uh, rate is getting lower. So there was also a big stimulus package uh, from the U.S. government, uh, uh, federal, and um, they gave that uh, to in order to recover the economy. But in uh, what we have seen here in Europe, uh, when we look at the loss of GDP in various countries, surprisingly, uh, Finland uh, was one of the Uh, countries uh, in Europe that we, uh, our GDP loss was the lowest uh, in the second quarter of this year. And this has something to do with our industrial base and structure, because we have been, uh, uh, we have lots of industries uh, producing investment type of products where the trade cycles are longer that for the consumer industry. So, um So we have seen like the big superpowers, China and U.S. coming up. But as said, in China, they haven't faced this uh, second wave of COVID. Whereas in U.S., the situation, it's much worse. And now here in Europe, uh, as already discussed, uh, uh, the big uh, economies um, are facing this. And also what's going to be interesting for Finland is then to see that how our industrial phase will will face uh, this next uh, wave. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the China um, kind of situation. Clearly, they haven't gone into a, a second phase as many of the other major markets you know, are right now. Um, it was obviously the first into the, the kind of global pandemic and, and, and one of the first, if not the first, to kind of emerge as, as, as a number of those kind of Asian markets are. The thing about China, though, is, is and I was just reading some figures Um, just a couple of days ago, um, you know, even a, a you know a two percent reduction in in kind of China GDP, which is probably what we were kind of looking at as as, as, a, as a as a kind of impact of of the Corona out there, that translates into into something like a fifty billion dollar contraction in the kind of value of the global value chains that it plays in, um, which is phenomenal. So although the the numbers are, are relatively poor or, or comparatively positive. Uh, in terms of GDP forecast, just a, just a small kind of reduction has a massive impact 
into the size of the global value chains, which China obviously plays a massive role in. Um, and then from an FDI point of view, the impact of all of this on kind of global value chains, I think we'll probably come to that a little later, is, is, is huge. And, 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 and within that, there's, there's, there's some really interesting kind of dynamics at play as a direct result of coronavirus onto the shape and the size and the, the kind of dynamics of, of the global value chains. But as I say, we'll probably come Uh, to that one a little later. Definitely. Actually, continuing with you, Neil, just a little bit more. Uh, you work as a director at London at Partners. Why do you think the foreign direct investments are so important at the moment? Why are they topical? Well, yeah, as you, as you say, I'm, I'm a director for the FDI Inward Investment Operation for London. Previously, I've been heavily involved in the UK and a national inward investment scene um, as well. Um You know, FDI from a from a UK perspective is, is 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 massively important. It always has been, and it always will be. And particularly as we we look to recover from 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 Corona, just looking at the last kind of ten years, inward investment for the UK has been worth nearly three quarters of a trillion dollars over the last ten years. Has, has been generated as a result of foreign direct investment into the UK generated something like about 600,000 new jobs, about 16,000 projects, and about four and a half million people in the UK are employed by foreign-owned companies. So, you know, it's a massive driver of economic growth. FDI brings employment opportunities. It employ, it brings in kind of tax revenue for the government. It brings in new knowledge, technologies, um, and and kind of new product and, and new kind of processes that improve the kind of productivity of a Of our kind of, of our market, so it's hugely, hugely important. Uh, Marielle is looking at this conversation from Finnish perspective from Helsinki. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's exactly the same. Job creation, tax revenue, uh, spillover effects to the economy. What is new knowledge, like uh, new uh, international contacts being part of the global value chains? Also, currently, not only the value chains globally are distributed locally uh, and and regionally in various places, but also from the point of view of global innovation chains, they are also kind of. Uh, Uh, structured in a way uh, that, uh, for instance, multinationals pick the teams wherever they are globally. But at the same time, it's also the question of the uh, versatile labor market that uh, foreign direct investments bring new type of uh, jobs and and can, in that sense, enhance the labor market development. And uh, from this, from from Looking at the foreign direct investment and foreign-owned companies in Finland, particularly, uh, they are one percent of the uh, all enterprises in Finland. But at the same time, when we look at their role in the job creation, R&T investments, added value, all, all almost all these figures are 20 percent of its value. So um, their impact in the Finnish economy is is huge. If we we're looking at the pandemic time, where would you say the investments are floating at the moment in Finland? Uh, so we have been uh, tracking uh, uh, the foreign direct investments, greenfield and expansions, as as well as and mergers and acquisitions, as well as foreign growth capital coming to the country. And uh, we have compared the figures um, from each quarter uh, from this year to uh, compared with the last year. So um, uh, we have compared in numbers of projects, so their economic value can be something else. But just looking at the numbers of new projects, we saw a huge decline uh, in the first quarter, 
uh, over 60%. The second quarter, uh, the, the loss was roughly 30%. And the last quarter, uh, uh, when we speak about uh, foreign direct investment greenfield projects, it was close to uh, 20%. But when we look at the mergers and acquisition cases, uh, the um, there has been similar changes, but uh, the Uh, the last quarter, the third quarter this year, we already see a positive uh, uh, growth, uh, almost 50% um, compared even the last year. And then what is interesting is the is the amount of uh, growth capital. Uh, so according to the project, the numbers are declining. But at the same time, when we look at the real um, um, euro value coming as uh, growth capital uh, to Finnish startups, it's Uh, in terms of the size of the investment rounds, it's it's it has been really increasing this year. Mm. Neil, it would be really interesting to hear also from from London side or UK side about the the facts where, where the investments are actually directed at the moment. Yeah, it kind of um, mirrors what uh, Marilisa was, was was saying really in terms of the the the, 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 the set. Well, in terms of the, the kind of the trends that we saw going into. Um, kind of this year, it, it, it did dip massively, um, through kind of April, May, and then started to pick up a little bit. And, and now we, we seem to be kind of leveling out fairly, fairly well. I think what's happening within, within the, um, the FDI kind of world here is, is we're still seeing, you know, lots and lots of interest in, um, the UK and particularly in London. And I'll go on to the kind of sectors that are showing. To be very resilient at the moment for for, for us, um, but actually, what's coming through from an FDI point of view is um, a lot smaller in terms of their job creation. You know, companies are coming in in a more cautious way, not surprisingly, but they're coming in. So, you know, there's a positive in that, in that the attractiveness of London is still holding up very well in the eyes of investors, um, and they see. You know the the the, techno, the um, sectors that are particularly strong in London will kind of endure and, and 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 respond very well through this pandemic, but when they're making their investment decisions, those decisions are generating in the short term at least fewer jobs than previously perhaps was the case. The other thing I think that we're seeing is companies are are looking at entering markets in different kind of ways than perhaps they have done in the past. You know, our game has has always traditionally been around greenfield investment, a foreign-owned company setting up an entity subsidiary of their of their foreign parent in a in in London or in the UK. Companies are looking a little bit more creatively about how to enter markets now, whether that be through partnerships, whether it be through joint ventures, whether it be through R and D collaborations. Those kind of things, I think, um, we're seeing an increase in because they are. I suppose an easier route in, a lower cost, a, a risk, uh, a lower risk and a market entry strategy for companies. Um, and then depending on how they, they they fare during the during the next kind of year or two, then hopefully um, we'll start to see them kind of scale rapidly um, as kind of confidence gets back into the market. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing. Sentiment is there. The attractiveness is holding up well. London's offer is holding up very well because of our strengths in sectors that are proving to be COVID resilient, for want of a better term. But they're coming in probably in a more cautious way, not surprisingly. 
You're listening to Future Talks, and our experts today are Neil Brickden, Director for Indirect Investment London and Partners, and Marilisa Ninikoski, CEO, Helsinki Business Hub. Going into the next section of our episode, global production networks are being disrupted on a global scale like never witnessed before. Uh, countries are now rethink- rethinking their international trade strategies to reduce their weaknesses to global economic shocks. Uh, Neil, continuing with you, what would you say is happening to global supply chains at the moment? Um, again, some really, as I mentioned earlier, some really interesting dynamics going on, I think, with, within those global supply chains. Some of them were going on anyway, I think, and again, the, the, the corona has, has, has accelerated Um, a lot of those kind of trends. I think what we're seeing in terms of those global value chains as a direct result of, um, of, of Corona will be the kind of value chains that are not really built on the old kind of concepts of kind of financial, kind of on, you know, on financial sound kind of financial basis. I think what's going to be more important as companies review their global value chains will be, um, an emphasis on resilience. And on um, security of supply, because clearly during the pandemic, in a number of sectors, um, that was massively impacted, and companies were really struggling um, to to get products and components into their kind of production lines at, you know, at the right time to, to to kind of fulfill their kind of just in time kind of processes. We're going to move away from that. Um, so I think we're going to move away to into a situation where global value chains are going to be built up around resilience and security of supply and into a more distributed model, I think, rather than this kind of centralized kind of model around a number of of locations which are massive players in those global value chains. And I think this speaks, I think, also to the earlier point I mentioned about the the um, the situation in China uh, in particular. I think there's going to be some interesting opportunities for um, markets such as, as Finland and for the UK as companies Um, look at their value chains and they start to kind of nearshore and reshore some of those activities so that they are close to home. So they've got that security of supply. And I think that's, you know, that's going to have an interesting or an, you know, an, an interesting impact on, on the, uh, the kind of Chinese and those Asian kind of markets, which have been massive players in these global value chains to date. Yeah, exactly. It's the question of the risk management for companies. So where they have their production facilities, that's one thing. And then uh, what Neil already said about where is the kind of the raw materials where people get, uh, where the companies get that, where are their customers? And in the end of the day, it's a mix of several things, like how attractive the investment environment is, where you get uh, uh, enough talent to work for your company, where you get raw materials when you especially talk about production, uh, how you can organize your logistics and where are your main customers. And therefore, when looking uh, from Finland point of view, uh, it will always in our kind of um, position in, in in the European landscape or, or uh, geographically, we are not in the center of the big markets in Europe and and. Uh, What we are close to is the is the kind of the connection between Europe and Asia, and uh, as I said, like in some cases we see regional headquarter programs coming uh, from from Chinese market, for instance. Uh, but when looking the supply chains and especially dis- discussing the distribution and the restructuring of production units, that is something I think will happen. 
Uh, and then uh, one more uh, key factor will be that how uh, smart industrial uh, production capabilities can be utilized, that the production itself can be um, carried out in a more efficient way. So that's that's one factor. But at the same time, I want to mention, because our strategy for FDI promotion uh, has normally been like targeting on R&D type of activities. And what we can witness here is when I discuss with the multinationals here in Helsinki, they also see that they think that they are closer to their headquarters. They are closer to their uh, regional headquarters in Europe. And therefore, this is something interesting that at the same time, when we are in lockdown, in some way, we are closer to each other through virtual uh, various type of digital means. And therefore, um, I think that uh, still there is lots to play what comes to R&D, piloting, testing. And we have seen lots of interesting uh, topics and initiatives coming through this new way of working during this year. Continuing with you, Marilisa, would you say that even if a pandemic wouldn't have happened, this change on the supply chain would have continued in a way that it is, it is continuing now? Or is the pandemic the sole reason why the supply chains are changing in such a drastic way? So uh, it depends on that, whether uh, uh, when you speak about supply chains, whether you refer also to the innovation activities. But when we look globally, innovation activities and multinationals, how they distribute them. We can already see that how the multinational pick the teams all over the world and put them together and and put them to work in a way that in various teams, in various geographical markets, in the end of the day, uh, are developing the same end product, although working virtually. This was already going on. And I think that uh, the virtual connectness now between within the multinationals and and between the care curves, uh that was already going on. But I think this also gave extra boost uh, for restructuring and uh, really picking up the winners in terms of the innovation competition. Yeah, I think I, I, I think it was a trend that was was again. I think it was a trend that was happening anyway, and it's it's one of these things that that has been accelerated as a result of. Of, of COVID, I think the, the kind of dynamics within the, the, the value change, the value change was there anyway. I think as a result of technology developments and kind of rapid prototyping and 3D printing and all of that kind of stuff, I think was just changing the way in which, you know, value chains, um, were structured and, and, and where the different functions were, were located. I think the concept of being close to your customer was there anyway. And I think it's even more apparent now, but, But it's probably even more important for different reasons than they were 12 months ago. Obviously, you know, from a from an FDI point of view, again, this is this is something that's been part of the um, the FDI world for a number of years now. Is this whole is what's going on in the US? The US is a massive driver of everybody's FDI. Certainly is for the UK. Certainly is for London. It's by far the largest source market for for us um, from an FDI point of view. And the whole um, the amount of FDI coming out of The U.S. and the, the and the locations that that's going to has changed fundamentally. It has changed massively, partly and and by in large part as a result of some of the, um, the fiscal measures that Trump has brought in to make it far more tax efficient. Let's say for multinationals, U.S. multinationals, to repatriate their deposit their their profits back into the U.S. to bring it back onshore. That's having a massive impact on the FDI world because those profits would otherwise have been used to fund expansion opportunities and FDI opportunities 
you know, in our market, if not anymore, in the same to the same scale. So that's been going on for a, a number of years, really. And Trump's been quite successful at that. When you look at the figures, they're huge. The amount of kind of um, dollars that have been kind of repatriated back into the US that then gets recycled around the US in terms of intra-US FDI. Because when you look now at what's going on in FDI from the US, and as I say, it's a massive driver of FDI for all of us, the kind of trends flip. The US has always been a massive outward FDI kind of source market into in other international markets. Now, if you look at the volume of, of deals that are going international from the US, as opposed to that that's staying within the US and going intrastate, you know, it's flipped on its head. There are more, there are probably two thirds of the deals are now going intrastate around the US than they are coming out of the US. And that's going to have a massive impact on all of our kind of lives from an FDI attraction perspective. And we're going to have to really up our game if we are going to want to continue to attract that FDI out of the US at a time when it's really um, attractive for that investment to stay fairly local. Again, it's all part of this, I think, nearshoring kind of um, the, the momentum of nearshoring, not not necessarily from a supply chain point of view, but nearshoring of investment. It's a really interesting dynamic at the moment we're seeing. On the last note here on this episode, I would like to hear you summarize the key points we have discussed earlier. How to stand out as a winner in this changing time? Uh, could you summarize key points in receiving FDIs? Neil, starting with you. One thing we haven't touched on, and I think this is really important, and this is what attracts people to a, a global city in the first place and the massive impact of COVID on all of that. And what I'm talking about there is is the is the cultural offer, is the lifestyle offer, is the, the kind of hospitality kind of um, kind of sectors that have all been massively hit by by COVID. I think the ability to bring that back to the fore will make kind of cities as attractive as they have been kind of in the past. And if we can get that right and get that kind of part of the economy back on an even keel, then talent will come continue to come. And if talent continues to come, then companies will want to invest. It's almost a virtuous circle there, isn't it? I think the other challenge that we've got, a number, a couple of other challenges that we've got, and hopefully some solutions to these, is the impact of COVID-19 on people's appetite to congregate in major you know, urban centers again. You know, are we moving to a different kind of city, a more fragmented kind of Um, kind of city structure where companies are not necessarily all centralized in a central business district because people's attitudes towards that are different. How do we make those central activity zones of our cities um, attractive in a post-COVID world? That's going to be an interesting kind of challenge. So, um, but I think, the, and, and I think the other thing, um, at a time when investors can't travel to you, how do you get your offer in front of investors? So the best IPAs, you know, out there are, are are really doubling down on their digital kind of service, their digital offer, and they're taking, you know, the 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 the, the strength and the kind of advantages of of a particular location to the investors digitally and virtually. And we're doing a lot of that at London and Partners. We're taking kind of virtual trade missions around the world and giving people virtual tours of London of London's ecosystems, of London's universities, of London's kind of great exhibition spaces and conference facilities and and all of that good stuff. We are now gone digital and we are able now to take all of that in a virtual world to the investors at a time when they can't come and see for themselves what London's all about. So trying to recreate what an investment promotion agency service 
kind of looks like in the digital world. Those that can do that will succeed. Um, and those that are really, really clear about their sectors of opportunity in a post-COVID world and really doubling down on those, I think, will be the will be the locations that, 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 that succeed going forward. But the wraparound is just making sure that your cities are open, they are welcome, welcoming, and they've got a great kind of... Um, a kind of lifestyle offer for the kind of talent that multinationals want to hire. Mm, Maria Lisa, your key points. Uh, my first point is that companies need to innovate in the future as well. And um, our focus being on R&D type of investments uh, will continue. And that is our our message to the world that in certain tech sectors, this is the thing. And uh, so in terms of our offering, we need and what we are currently doing is really like highlighting the offering from here. So for instance, if I give you an example that uh, what we have been recently doing is to sell sell Crater Helsinki as a place for quantum computing, but that's not enough. You need to go eat even one uh, layer Uh, down, uh, what means to make it even more concrete, where we are competitive in quantum computing, for instance. So that's one thing. So one one message is companies need to innovate and we need to be clear enough where is our offering. That's a challenge for us, but at the same time, then we can serve the companies where they can do their best R&D projects and where they need to need invest. The second thing is that maybe, uh, and it might be the case, that in the future, the size of the city matters. Just what Neil also pointed out. So what is the lifestyle that skilled people and labor force want to have, where they want to live? And in this respect, uh, cities uh, uh, in the middle-sized categories might have their opportunity now. So where uh, this kind of risks can be handled in an efficient way. That's that's one thing we we think that might might also have a opportunity for smaller smaller cities at the global scale, and also I I do need to emphasize also what Neil already said about digital marketing and sales, what the IPAs can do, and and definitely the digitalization has really reduced the price of a new contact in this business, but then it's how we can turn that to be a real business case. Uh, we have learned a lot this year, and this will definitely continue. And really focusing on that digitalizing services is for investment promotion agencies the next phase. Thank you very much for this conversation. Maria-Liisa Niinikoski, CEO Helsinki Business Hub. Thank you. And Neil Brigden, Director for Indirect Investment London and Partners. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to The Bounce Back on Future Talks. Are you listening? Please mind the gap between the train and the platform.